This is Three Sides of the Coin, talking all things KISS. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Want to get your official Three Sides of the Coin logo and shocker tee? Now you can. We ship worldwide. Get yours online at shop.threesidesofthecoin.com. Hours of KISS Radio. Every week, Three Sides of the Coin Radio. Live, Sundays, 8 p.m. Pacific. Monsters of Rock Channel, Dash Radio Network. We program the radio show. We pick the songs. No corporate overlord telling us what to play. Only Kiss Deep Cuts. We play the songs the fans really want to hear. Three Sides of the Coin Radio. Every Sunday, 8 p.m. Pacific. Evening with Ace Frehley. I'm Sean Heglin from Fan HQ. It's my pleasure to introduce our host for tonight. He's been a KISS fan for over four decades. He's displayed his passion for the band in numerous ways, from lip-synced shows and ladies' bodysuits to his current show as one side of the Three Sides of the Coin podcast. Please welcome our host, Tom Summers. Well, test, okay. First off, welcome. Thank you all for coming. I want to say a big thank you to Sean and his whole staff at Fan HQ for making this happen. How cool is this? Yeah. This would not be happening without his persistence. He has worked on this for, gosh, it has to be two or three years. Or four, yeah. So thank you all for coming out. We're going to do our very best to entertain you and give you all the questions and get Ace involved to answer as much as he can. So as you know, uh, I'd like to introduce to you someone who is a childhood hero of mine. Uh, all of us as KISS fans gravitates towards this band because of how incredible they are. He's been everywhere. He's seen it all. He's done it all. And tonight, he is here for you to answer your questions. So, without further ado, where is he? Mr. Fraley? He's here, I got him here, so I know he's back there. Ah, Everyone, please welcome Mr. Ace Fraley. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, how this is going to work is we're gonna, I'm going to ask a couple questions and then Sean's going to make his way around and get people from the audience here have lots of questions they want to ask you. 
So I'm just going to get the big one out of the way that a lot of people want to know about. Is there a possibility of a reunion moving forward with KISS? Well, you know, every time somebody asks me that question, it's really up to Paul and Jean. The ball's in their court. I think it's more possible now than it was a year ago. Okay. I can say that. That's great. Well, there you go. Excellent. Yeah, my relationship with those guys has improved dramatically over the last year. You know, the advent of doing the video with Paul, and then, you know, I've been touring the country with Gene, you know, helping him out with his vault experiences, and I'm leaving the 25th to go to Australia with him. Yeah, that's going to be a great so, double So, you know, bill. that's a big change from what it was like three, four, five years ago. Well, you know, you guys have been friends for so long, and you did some great things together, so it's bound to come full circle for you. Yeah, I mean, I think they finally realized after 11 years that I'm sober, finally. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, you know, they have nightmares about, you know, the way I used to be and I didn't show up or I was, you know, this, that, or the other thing, a car accident or whatever. But <laughs> I think it took them a long time to, to really grasp the fact that, you know, I show up on time now and uh, I'm sober and I'm playing and singing better than ever. That's great. Yeah. Go ahead. Thank you. I want to take you back to the beginning of KISS. Do you think if you would have started somewhere else, like if you didn't do it in New York City, do you think you guys could have made it starting in LA? Well, to be honest with you, we started you know, in Manhattan, but for a long time, a lot of people thought we were from Detroit because we really broke out of Detroit. You know, when we were playing Cobo Hall in Detroit, we were still playing 2,500-seaters in other areas of the country. So a lot of people thought we were a Detroit band. Really? Yeah. I mean, for some reason, Detroit just flipped out over us. And, you know, we spent a lot of time there. And... Uh, Maybe it's a Midwest. But I, I, yeah, I don't. I think I think it would have happened wherever. You know, I don't think the location mattered that much. I think it was just something that we came up with that was magical. Yeah. Well, the music was definitely there because you can talk about all of the things that you guys did as a band and all of the theatrics and the makeup, but it still comes back to the music. That's what people seem to gravitate towards more than anything else. I mean, I was doing an interview yesterday, and you know. I was talking to this interviewer and I'm saying, you know, how many band, four-man bands have four lead singers? Yeah. You know, we could do four-part harmony. We could all write. You know, we were all theatrical. We all came up with our own makeup. Uh, I mean, it was just a, you know, it, it was this collaborative effort, you know, this uh, collective thought, you know, when we first started out. I mean, we really didn't know what the hell was going on. All we knew was that we wanted to wear makeup and be a theatrical group, you know? You know, we, we uh, were fascinated with Alice Cooper's success. I remember me and Paul Stanley going to the garden, you know, for the Billion Dollar Baby tour, and we snuck up <laughs> on the aisle and, and was watching Alice, and we were just blown away. But we decided to take it one step further. Yeah, you certainly did, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, when you're looking at some of the stuff that you did, like the makeup design, did you ever regret that that one seemed to be harder than the rest? 
Did you take? Did it take a lot more time for you to do that than the rest of the guys in the band? Yeah, but it's cooler. But <laughs> 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 you see, I, you know, I, I grew up as a uh, drawing as a little kid, and I was a graphic artist. I designed the Kiss logo, and. Uh, it really wasn't that difficult for me to do it every night. Well, yeah, it is. It's it's fantastic, and yeah. look at all the people, you know, Ace Fraley fans, everybody. Yep. I, I, I'm so. I mean, I've been. I've I've done interviews before, and a lot of people are amazed at the fact that we actually did our own makeup. A lot of people think that somebody else puts it on us, you know. But you know, we're like four women in a in a beauty parlor. <laughs> Now, we're talking to each other, but we're looking in the mirror and, you know, putting on the makeup and fixing the hair and putting on the... Yeah, we had girls dress us. That was kind of fun. <laughs> like the dolls. Well, and there was a lot of that going on in the early 70s in New York in the, the glam scene. I've seen all types of, you know, video footage of people wearing makeup that were just people attending those shows. So did some of it come from that as well? Or how did you guys come up with this is what we want to do. Well, I think we took a little from Alice. I think theatrically, we, you know, I took stuff from The Who, um, Led Zeppelin. I mean, you know, all those guys influenced me. You know, people say, you know, how, how did you come up with your guitar style? I said, well, I copied Jeff Beck, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, Pete Townsend, you know, Keith Richards. Yeah, the whole English invasion, the Beatles, the st and uh, somehow I, a conglomeration of all those guitar players, and you get Ace Frehley. But, you know, if you listen to my solos, you can hear interwoven through my solos, you know, bits and pieces of, you know, some of those guitar players I just mentioned. That's great. Um, so we're going to start going in with questions. The first question is from John Davey who flew in here from, I'm not, where are you, where'd you flying from? Michigan. Michigan, okay. I'm going there tomorrow. <laughs> Hi Ace, my name Hi. is Holly. My soon-to-be husband is your biggest fan, and because of you, my life will be different, will be different in a way that I never dreamed possible. Starting with Chris Cruz 8. My wedding is November 1st, and our journey as husband and wife will begin with you and thousands of KISS fans as we get married in Key West. Who has ever influenced an unexpected moment in your life, and what was that moment? Has there been someone I, that's... I, I mean, I'm, when I hear a lot of ambience, you know, my hearing's not that good. They want to know if there's someone who has inspired you in your life that you weren't expecting. Yes? That I yes. wasn't expecting? Yeah, like just something... I, no, the guys I just mentioned, the bands I just mentioned were the ones, uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix, I forgot to mention Jimi, I wrote it for Jimi Hendrix in 1970 at a peace concert at Randall's Island, I mean it was just insane, you know, the, I snuck backstage because I had long hair, I was wearing a black shirt with a snakeskin star and lemon yellow hot pants <laughs> and vans and you know, there was no laminates back then, so, you know, I was watching some of the guys from the bands that had just performed walking in and out, and they just kind of, the, the guard looked at them and gave them a nod, so. 
I looked like I was in a band. And I just walked by the guy and gave him the nod, and he just let me walk backstage. <laughs> that probably won't work. And I'm that. talking to John Kay from Steppenwolf. I'm talking to a couple of other people. And eventually, after about 10, 15 minutes, somebody says, who is this guy? You know, who does he play with? And I said, I told him the truth. I snuck back there. They said, well, can, what can you do? I said, I can do anything. Tune guitars, set up drums. Next thing you know, I'm setting up Mitch Mitchell's drums. Oh, jeez. And, uh, and do you remember when Mitch Mitchell changed his image from the afro to where he wore the headband and he had the beard and long hair? Well, I didn't know that this was what he, I guess he had just changed his image because I'm setting up his drum kit with a drum roadie and uh, Mitch walks over, but I didn't recognize him because he had that new image. And... Uh, uh, I didn't. I didn't realize it was Mitch Mitchell, and the, and the English roadie said to Mitch Mitchell, "Hey, Mitch, which snare are you gonna use tonight?" And then all of a sudden, it hit me. Here I am setting up Mitch Mitchell's drums with an English roadie and Mitch Mitchell. <laughs> so uh, that blew my mind. And when I look back at it, it seems surreal, but it happened. And you've always had that love of music in your blood. Yeah. So it started at a young age. One of the things you were saying to me on the way over is that you saw yourself here as a musician, as, as a famous musician. You know that about yourself. Um, I, yeah, when I was like 15, 16, I knew I was going to be famous. You know, If it wasn't going to be with Kiss, it would have been with somebody else or my own band or whatever. But I just, I have, I've always had the power of foresight. That's great. Uh, well, I don't know how great it is. <laughs> well, Sometimes it is. I see it is because you got well because you got that you know yeah. you you got that self confidence. That's what you need yeah. to be successful, no well, matter yeah, what I, you do. I, can, I remember going to see the Who and the Cream and Jimi Hendrix, and I, I remember being really blown away. But I remember saying to myself, "I can do that too," you know. Yeah. I never set my sights low. You know, I always wanted to shoot for the stars. You know, you're, you're, you're only limited by your, your own limitations. Yeah, that's, that's very true. That's very true. Okay, so we're going on to the next question. This is Mike from West St. Paul. Mike? I'm not that loud, am I? Okay, there we go. There I am. I'm going to stand up because it's showbiz. I'm, I'm humbled and honored to... Uh, here and, and talk with you. My uh, real name is Happy. I play in a band called Hairball. And uh, uh, I played guitar professionally my whole life since I was 14. I, uh, I uh, crap my pants waiting to get your autograph at the Great American Music when I skipped school in junior high school and I still have that autograph at home and uh, like many of these people you set my life in a very good direction because I knew when I grew up I wanted to be ace freely and it, it taught me discipline that I knew if I was going to be that good I better practice and I did and uh, we had a chance to play with Kiss with Hairball and Alice Cooper was there and Paul talked to Alice about that very billion dollar baby show that you talked about. And uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a little jittery and shaky because I haven't been out for a little while, but my question was, 
I, I think we could all argue that Ace Frehley's uh, solo record is the best of all four solo records. Thank you. You could disagree with me, but I'll smash your fucking head in with a Kiss lunchbox if you do. <laughs> um, of, of course, you've been integral, and, and I think when that album came out, we really realized how important Ace Freely was to the Kiss sound. We, I could hear it in your solo album, but I was wondering, even though you were writing and involved in all the Kiss stuff, was there a point or a song when you kind of wanted to reach out from your own and express yourself artistically outside of KISS, like maybe doing a solo album, or maybe it was Shock Me, or maybe it was something else, where you realized, I'm ace fucking freely, I've helped build all of this KISS, but when I wrote this song or something, that I realized I was a great writer and a singer, and I could do all this, that I could stand on my own, outside of KISS, as well as being an amazing part of KISS. Was there a moment that occurred to you uh, that was just magical well, apart from that? Well, you know, the success of my solo album is kind of a double-edged sword, because it really started me thinking that, you know, maybe I'm more creative away from those guys than with them. So it, uh, you know, it really, you know, when I saw the success of that record, working with Eddie Kramer alone, you know, not having Paul and Gene around, because a lot of times, sometimes they would give me negative vibes in the studio, and uh, I was much more creative away from them. And you know, the success of that album shows that and proves that. So I knew it in my heart, and then I knew eventually I would be leaving the group at some point. You know, but there was there, there was multiple reasons why I left the group. You know. You know, I was my own worst enemy towards the end, you know, with drugs and alcohol and, uh, and but none of us were getting along. Everybody would go their own way after a show. Everybody had their own limo, their own bodyguard. You know, the whole one for all and all for one vibe was completely gone once we really hit the pinnacle, you know, of our success, probably 78, 79, and, uh, you know, from that point on, you know, wine, women, and song kind of took over. <laughs> uh, and, uh, was the, was during that, <laughs> during I that don't regret it, you know, like, you read my book. You know, I, I had to go through that to get to where I am today. Well, during that period, though, during that period, was there a lot of watching uh, the sales and who was doing better than whom for those solo albums? Or were you just expressing yourself and you just didn't really look back? I never really paid much attention to what... I, I've never listened to any of their solo albums from beginning to end. They didn't really interest me. Um, and, you know, the stuff they've done since I left the group, I mean, I really don't pay any attention to. But, uh, but was there was there any did you feel any tension or uncomfortableness because maybe jeans didn't sell as well as yours, you know that kind of thing? Was there any of that going on? Because you had the top forty hit with New York Groove. You know, if you ask Gene, I've heard him say that his album sold more than mine. I mean, you know, <laughs> that's Gene. <laughs> uh, 
those guys had a they had a problem like you know complimenting me I don't know why that was. Maybe it's because I was always a fly, kind of fly by the seat of the pants kind of guy, you know. And you know, sometimes I'd walk in the studio and not go out a solo in 15 minutes, and sometimes it would take longer because I had a hangover. But you know, <laughs> regardless, I, you know, I came through, and I always came through live. Yeah. You know, no matter how loaded I was, I, you know, I, I kind of got the rhythm down so I could, and I really kind of saved the crazy party until after the show. You know, I, you know, I could have a few drinks and do a little other things here and there. You know, and while Peter was doing his drum solo, you know, I might take a whiff of something. <laughs> which would kind of give me a boost, but, uh, but you know, I kind of I had it down so I could function and I, get through the show, you know, without any problem. And then after the show, you know, I, I got crazy. Well. And sometimes I'd crash cars and uh, end up behind the eight ball, throwing TVs out the window of a hotel room. And, but, you know, I was, I was living, you know, the ultimate life of a rock star, you know. I just decided if I'm going to do it, you know, go all the way. And once I got that out of my system, you know, Eleven years ago, I decided to get sober, and you know, God bless the fact that you know it's really changed my life. And I mean, I couldn't believe I didn't put out an album in 20 years. Yeah, that was a long period. And uh, what I've done four albums in yeah, the last he, five or six years, seven he, years. Yeah, and you've been so prolific with all of this stuff that's coming out. And he does, yeah. as if, in case you guys don't know, he has a new album coming out on the 17th of October, Spaceman. <laughs> Is it? It's October. Yeah, that's what I heard. I, I thought it was yeah. November. No, it's it's before the Kiss Cruise. Oh, they're moving it up on me. Yeah. Well, you can call Ken Gullick and tell him, you know, <laughs> straighten it out. But uh, so if you guys pre-order that on iTunes, you get a download of um, the newest single, as well as Bronx Boy. So you know, get out there and pre-order the album and give this guy uh, some support. I, I only did nine songs on this record because I was a little superstitious, you know, because the first, my first solo album was 78, and here we are 40 years later. So I said, let me do just nine songs, because that was lucky for me 40 years ago. Maybe history will repeat itself. I mean, everybody that's heard this new album thinks it's one of my best, you know, yeah, I've been, hearing, I've been hearing great reviews from the few people that have. Yeah. So we're all excited for it. I think, Sean, Sean, do you have another question? Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah, we've got Mark here who actually has a question specific to what you were just talking about or man mentioned a few times. Here you go, Mark. Hey, it's Dr. Mark here, just saying hi. So leading in from that last uh, talk on the sobriety and things, was there ever a moment or straight out here? Oh. Was there ever a moment, instant event that prompted the sobriety change when you said, you know, I've had enough of this lifestyle and went from, because, you know, obviously your history with things is probably well documented, right. but I'm just curious if there was an event. Yeah, I got introduced to sobriety in my... When I had that, when I, when I smashed up at DeLorean in White Plains, New York. I was driving 50 miles against traffic 
And there was only one cop that had enough guts to f chase me. <laughs> and he's, he pulls up alongside of me, and I'm in a DeLorean, and it's a stick shift, and I'm in fourth gear, and uh, he's driving it in Chevy Nova police car. <laughs> so I, I said, bye, and I hit fifth gear, and he's gone. And he turned out to be my AA sponsor, and we're like best friends. I, you know, I spoke to him today. He, he saved my life. You know, Jimmy Gentle, you, you probably read about him in my book. Um, you know, he, 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 was, he, he worked his way all the way up to lieutenant, and then he, started, then he became a U.S. Marshal, and uh, now he's retired in Florida, you know, just taking it easy. But, uh, you know, I saw him last, last time I was in Florida last year. And uh, I'm going to see him again when we play. I'm going to do uh, some dates in Florida after the Kissed Cruise, which should be interesting. <laughs> yes. Five days at sea, you know, that'll yeah. be fun. Um, it's interesting, though, too, how people come in and out of your life for different reasons. So it must be really interesting that you had that story with him driving the, the car, but he ends up being your sponsor. You just, it's to me, it's interesting how life just kind of goes through and you, you change and, and you meet these different people who come into your life to help you in different ways. Um, what do you think has changed for you now that you're sober? Are you, do you feel, um, are you, do you give back now more? Do you, do you feel like more part of what you're doing? I'm just so much more focused and I'm so much more creative. You know, I'm writing songs like, I mean, I, when Gene came down to my home studio, what, six months ago, whenever it was, you know, we wrote two songs in three hours, and you know, it's, it's the two songs that we wrote, his is the first song and the third song on the record, and they both came out great. And <laughs> I didn't realize that I never wrote a song with Gene. <laughs> Because somebody said to me, is this, is this the first time you've re-collaborated with Gene? I go, I don't know if I ever even wrote a song with Gene. I know I wrote with Paul and Peter, but, uh, but then somebody said, you know, Ken Sharp. <laughs> Ken, yeah. Ken Sharp goes, nope, you never wrote a, a song with Gene. He would know. Yeah. Um, Sean, you ready for another? We got another question for you right down here to the right. Yeah, Dave's here with another question for you. You've had several. Oh, I'm sorry. You've had several less signature Les Pauls over the years. What was your relationship like with Les Paul, and how did you meet him? He would like to know how you ended up meeting Les Paul in the first place, and what type of a relationship did you have with him? Uh, first time I met Les Paul was at the Gibson showroom in Manhattan. Because I used to go out, I you know the the guy that ran that place. I used to hang out with there and you know play some of the different guitars and fool around with the different amps. You know, whenever I would go down to 48th Street, which is where all the music stores are in Manhattan, you know, <clears throat> I pick something up or I go to some pawn shops and then I stop over at the Gibson showroom and say hello to my buddy who runs it. And one day Les Paul showed up, and that's how I originally met Les Paul and then I ended up jamming with him at the Meridian Club uh, one afternoon and that was a real treat 
and you know, he signed uh, my Les Paul, and he, uh, we took a few photos together. And that was it. That was the last time I saw him since he's passed away. You um, had a lot of different guitar players that you've mentioned that have influenced you. Yeah. Have you had the chance, like everyone here is wanting to meet you, have you gotten the chance to meet some of your heroes? Yeah, I've never met Jimmy Page. You haven't? No. I was at a club and he was at the bar and I was going to walk up to him and, and you know, I said to myself, you know, I hate it when people bother me in clubs. Especially when I'm drinking and I'm with a chick. So <laughs> he was talking to some gal and I just, I didn't have the heart to walk up to him and bother him. And uh, that was a, uh, a missed chance, you know, uh, a lost moment. But I'd love to meet Jimmy. Oh, I bet. He's an incredible guitar player. Yeah, and I mean, I met Hendrix, I met Pete Townsend. I'm, I played ping pong with Keith Richards at Shea Stadium. <laughs> well, that must have been a show. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I ever told anybody that. Do you what do you remember of that? Was this like 70s? Well, I was, I was being managed at the time by this guy, Chip Racklin, who used to work with the Stones. So he got me backstage, and uh, we got into the dressing room, and they had a ping pong table there. And uh, Keith was playing with a roadie, and then I said, I said Can, let's play. And I introduced myself, and lo and behold, we played ping pong. <laughs> I know it sounds nuts, but you know. My wife was there, and she was like uh, frozen in awe of Keith Richards. Well, yeah, but, it's a uh, Yeah. Cool. I got to put that in the next book, don't I? Yeah, you should. <laughs> Sean has another one for you here. We got one right. We have Chuck here. Lots of vinyl collectors here today. Chuck has a question for you about a vinyl release. All right. Have you ever thought about releasing a special vinyl on Record Store Day? He wanted to know if you're thinking about in the future releasing anything special for Record Store Day. That's become a, a much bigger trend. Metallica did it this year. Cheap Trick did it last year. Do you think maybe you could do something special moving forward? When is it again? It's in April, I think, every year. It's my birthday is in April. Yeah, on the 27th. 27th, yeah. yeah. Lucky number. Uh, I mean, there's so much stuff. You know, I was just talking, telling uh, somebody the other day that I have over a hundred reels of two-inch tape from my studio in Connecticut and from other sessions. That you know, he's just sitting there. Half the stuff I don't even remember what it is, but you know, I'm jamming with celebrities. There's some songs I wrote that I forgot what they were. So I gotta, I gotta bake those tapes and transfer them to hard drive. And then I have, you know, reel to reel, you know, quarter inch tape, I have a bunch of stuff. And I even have some stuff on eight track, you know, that, remember the Task Cam yeah. eight tracks? Yeah, Half inch tape. So, and then I have like 200 cassettes. You know, stuff that like Paul and Gene and Peter would send me and say, here, work on a solo, you know. And, but it's, it was like, you know, the song in demo form that a lot of people have never heard, but I have, I still have all that stuff. Well, and so many people that are fans of all bands crave that type of thing. Do you think you could ever see yourself someday 
putting something together like Gene with his vault? Yeah, I can, but I mean, I'm, it's going to be a major undertaking. You know, I mean, I have old videos, uh, old photos. Yeah. I mean, I got my girlfriend, first, first or second time we went, second time we went to Australia, she took videos of Kiss on the Plane. Oh. Of <laughs> Paul and Gene and Peter sleeping. <laughs> yeah. See, people would love to see that stuff and hear it. And she, she took pictures of my solos and, you know, footage backstage that nobody's ever seen. I mean, I have a lot of stuff. You should think about that because, yeah. you know, look at how well Gene's doing with his, with his vault box. Yeah, set, I mean, so. it, it's going to happen, you know, it, when, when I slow down, you know, I'm, I'm going nonstop. You know, I'm moving the 22nd, the 25th, I'm leaving for Australia, then I'm going to Japan, then I'm coming back. And then I'm doing a th uh, thing in Vegas at the uh, Kiss Golf, oh, mi uh, miniature golf, something like this. Yeah. The weekend before the cruise, and then after the cruise, I got dates in Florida, and uh, I got to start working on Origins Volume Two. So you know, it's like it never—it's a never-ending saga with me. But you seem really happy and enjoy it. I enjoy being busy. I'm 67 years old, and I'm healthier now than I was 10 years ago. And, um, you know, sky's the limit. You know, one thing I've never done is score a film. I'd love to do that, especially like a sci-fi sci film, you know, which has special effects and stuff. I'd like to be involved with that project. I'd like to be in another film. You know, John Belushi, before he passed away, I was with him like two weeks before he passed away. Uh, and he told me, he was, you know, we were hanging out for a couple of days, and he said, I'm going out to L.A., but, you know, give me a call when, when I get back, or I'll call you, because I want you to be in my next movie, because I was one of the few guys that could crack him up. He goes, you, you're really a fucking funny guy, Ace. <laughs> And we all know what happened. He went to California and never came back. So. Sean, do you have another? Yep. Hi, Ace. Um, my name is Shannon, and I have a lot of friends who play your music and groove with Kiss. The first time my sister and I were introduced to uh, the Kiss band was we were in elementary school, and our babysitter brought over the Kiss album. And we were hooked, and thank goodness my parents were musicians, so we were cool with that. But when it comes to girls and we're putting on makeup, we would like to know the craziest place you guys put on your makeup before a gig back in the early days. Where's the craziest place you guys had to apply your makeup before a gig? In the bathroom of a... Uh, well, you know what happened? We, when first time we went to Japan, we, we wanted to get off the plane with, in costume and makeup. So we did, you know, we each went into the, took a, uh, one of the bathrooms and put on our makeup and put on our costumes. We get off the plane and customs goes, uh, passports, and you know, they didn't know who was who. We had to take off our makeup for the customs guys and then put it back on, like in a back room at customs before we went out to meet 5,000 screaming crazy Japanese fans. <laughs> you know, it was like the Beatles coming to America. It was unprecedented. 
Well, and then also, too, your Australia trip as well, another one that it just yeah. looked like pandemonium. Did you, at the time when you guys started this whole thing and you were playing and you did the makeup and you're starting to release records, how long did it take before you realized that potential of the marketing? Or, or did you guys know that early on, like, this is really something that, you know, we can take way further than just the music? I never was concerned with that. I didn't really. That was Gene. You know, Gene was, you know, he wanted everything from toilet paper to <laughs> caskets to, you know, dolls and all that. He t that never interested me at all, you know. I just, I didn't pay any attention to it. The only thing I liked, I remember seeing uh, that puzzle of me, you know, in the spaceship. With the, yeah, with your hand on the... <laughs> that was a cool puzzle. <laughs> well, what was the silliest thing that you ever saw that was a merchandise piece? Where you're just like, I can't believe he licensed this. Well, I, I felt pretty... You know, I, a good friend of mine, Vinnie Paul, you know, the drummer from... Uh, yeah, he just passed away while I was in Vegas. It's pretty bizarre. I was, you know, Rachel, it was Rachel's birthday. So I, I took her to Vegas and Vinny died, you know, I think the day before we got there, but we didn't find out until we got there. So we cut our trip short. She went home because she, can't, she faints at funerals. And from Vegas, I flew to Dallas and uh, attended the funeral and spoke up in the pulpit, you know, and said, you know, because I've known Vanny and we've been good friends for years, as I was friends with Dieberg as well. And, uh, and then, you know, the cemetery was right next to the church. So we get out to the cemetery, and he's in a kiss casket. And it makes me cringe a little, you know? And uh, I didn't have anything prepared except for what I said on the pulpit, and they go to me, uh, once I'm standing over there, you know, father comes over, he goes, hey, say something at the casket, you know. So here, I got to walk over to the casket, I got like my hand on the casket, and I see my face on it, it's, I'm honest. <laughs> and, but I didn't have anything prepared to say. So off the top of my head, I go, I guess everybody here has seen the movie The Wizard of Oz, right? And everybody's going, yeah, where is this going? <laughs> And uh, I said, well, remember the part when they discovered the wizard wasn't real and he was behind the curtain? And uh, he's talking to the Tin Man and he goes, you know, you will not be judged by how much you love, but you're going to be judged how much you are loved by others. And I go, Vinny was loved by everybody and now he's up in heaven with his brother. In a, in a rock and roll band up in heaven, and God bless them, and uh, thank you for letting me speak. That was <laughs> pretty <laughs> I good, just right? Pulled that out of my ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Sean, you got another uh, question? Yeah, we're way in the back here with one of our sponsors tonight. John from Hi Fi Heron Records is back here with a question for Ace. Hi, Ace. Thank you for coming. Hi. Uh, so, you're sitting next to my childhood best friend and brother. Sorry about this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, first, first off, uh, I, I have to say how uh, amazing it is for me to, to sit here and watch him 
talk with you and interview you. Um, Tommy has, has been, you are, you are Tommy Summers' idol ever since I've known Tommy Summers. My first question is, have you ever seen what Tommy looks like in your makeup? <laughs> he wanted to know if you've ever seen a photo of me dressed up in your makeup. You? Me, yeah, that's my friend John from childhood. Oh, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> he probably looked pretty good. There's, there's a Christmas card coming. <laughs> there's a Christmas card coming, great, okay. thank you. Uh, the other question, or, or, well, I guess, it, I don't know if it's a question or, or, or not, but um, of all four of the KISS members, as stated earlier, everybody in this room is, is impressed with the fact that you've not only had the, the only really good fucking solo album, uh, but you are the only one that's ever played an incredibly iconic building in our city called First Avenue. He was saying of all the KISS members, you're the only guy that's played First Avenue, which is a really big deal here in Minneapolis. Played, yeah. played First Avenue. Oh yeah, the, the, the club where they shot the Purple Rain film? Yep. Yeah. yeah. I played that place twice, I think. Yeah. I was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's you a, did. It was a good little venue. It's one of those iconic places here, just like BBK. Is BB it still Kings. around? Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, Sean, do you have another one, or where are you? Okay. All right. So, what's the most ridiculous rumor you've ever heard about yourself? That I was dead. <laughs> when was that? I got a phone call from Bill O'Corn, and he goes to me, Ace, you're okay, right? I go, yeah, why? He goes, well, there's a rumor on the internet that you're dead, that you died. So. Th that's crazy. That, that kind of took me by surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so do you listen to a lot of the newer bands? Are there any, any newer bands that you are uh, interested in at this point? Like, have you heard Greta Van Fleet? Have you listened to some of the, the newer rock? I re I'm really not on top of the music scene. It, you know... It, I'm, you know, I'm, when I'm not in the studio, I really like to give my ears a rest. And uh, I mean, nine times out of ten, when I'm driving in my, you know, Jaguar, or Bentley, I don't, I don't put the radio on or, or play DVDs. I kind of like, you know, let the window open and hear nature. I, you know. Okay. It's uh, so I really don't know. Yeah, but you know, if something was really, ha if there was a band out there that everybody was getting excited about I get phone calls and I haven't gotten them so that probably I'm tells not you too that. worried about it <laughs> um, there was was there a band that you were in when you were really young by the name of Magic People yeah it was can you tell us a little bit about that bands. yeah can you tell us a little bit about that that was kind of the first band I was with that was more professional than any of the bands I had been worked with before. You know, I mean, I started playing with local bands. We'd rehearse in basements and stuff. But I mean, this band, we had a booking agency in Westchester, and you know, we were, we, we were playing almost every weekend. And then uh, we got they, got, they started getting complaints that I'm playing too loud. And I had an argument with, uh, the booking agent that had, you know, it was, it, was guy, it was these two guys, Rustin and Brenner, 
You know, they like had a, a monopoly on most of the clubs in the New York, but, uh, you know, Bronx and Westchester, which is a suburb of New York. And pretty much, I, you know, I said, wow, you don't like it? I quit the band, you know? And he goes, you're never gonna go anywhere. <laughs> Boy, was he wrong. He showed up at a Kiss concert, you know? <laughs> Did he want to his head that? down going, Ace, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that had to feel pretty good. I said, I'll show you. <laughs> now, did you, did you write Rip It Out during that time frame, or was most of that, the solo album stuff written once you were in yeah, Kiss? Some, what was the album before the solo albums? Rock and Roll Over? No, that was Love Gun. What, Love Gun? Yeah. Was the last album we did prior to the solo albums? Yeah. Are you sure about that? Yeah, yeah, with the exception of Side 4 of Alive 2. Yeah. Well, I remember writing some songs, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to present these to the band for this record. I'm going to hold, hold back because I got a solo album coming up. And so, yeah, I think Rip It Out I had written, but I didn't present it. There was a couple of songs that I wrote early on, and... Uh, and then there were some songs that pretty much evolved while I was in doing the recording process with Eddie Kramer up in Sharon, Connecticut, like uh, Fractured Mirror just kind of evolved, you know. It was so cool because, you know, we had a, a portable truck with a studio in it and we had the Colgate Mansion and, you know, the, the library was all wood, you know, beautiful. And we used that to record acoustic guitars and sometimes do vocal effects. You know, we had the drums set up in the middle and we had mics up on the upper staircase to get natural reverb. I had amps in the marble bathroom and in, uh, other rooms of the house. And uh, we just really had a lot of fun, me and Eddie Kramer. Just, you know, he, and, you know he, he's the guy who really taught me how to engineer and he showed me miking techniques, you know. I mean, he worked with the Beatles, you know, and Hendrix, and so I, I wanted to learn. Every time I worked with Eddie, I'd say, you know, how do you adjust this compressor on the bass to make it sound, you know, the optimum sound? And he would spend the time to, to teach me. Which is great, and especially <laughs> considering he, he worked with so many I, of those bands you love. You know, Paul and Gene, don't, they don't know how to engineer. When Gene came off my house, I pulled the Pro Tools and, and I said, Let, let's record the songs we just wrote. And I plugged his bass in, you know, and I plugged my Les Paul in, you know, it came up on a 55 inch screen with moving faders. And he goes, how do you know how to do this? <laughs> I go, because I, I asked questions and decided I wanted to learn how to engineer, you know. And you know, today, like, you know, in the middle of an album, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning, I have an idea I want to put down. I can go in and record a, a solo or a vocal. You know, I recorded the solo for Fire and Water, you know, on my own without my engineer. I did like 15 takes, you know, because Paul had did such a great vocal on it. Oh, the yeah, it's a great had to be song. Great. So I did like 15 takes, and then I tried piecing something together. You know, usually take the front of one, the middle part of another solo, and the end of another, and you know, you know, there's a little thing you can do, and it makes it sound seamless. You don't hear the edit, uh, but it it just didn't sound right. 
So I, you know, I, I said, let me take a half hour break. I came back and the solo on the record is one take from beginning to end. I love and that that's record. a long solo. Yeah, it's fantastic. It really is. Thank you. Um, Thank you. We have another question, Sean. We're actually going to go through a few fan questions here in a row. So we'll go from Roger to Brady to Jeffrey. We'll just bounce right around here. Okay. Hi, Ace. Um, Hi. If you could tour with a super group, who would you want playing with you? That mic sounds weird. That's Maybe it's my voice. <laughs> is that the same mic everybody's been using? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Get closer to it. If you could tour with a super group, who would you like playing with you? I can't hear. If, you could, if you could be part of a super group, who would you like to be in that group? Hmm. I don't know. A lot of the guys are dead, you know. <laughs> um, How many guitar players would be in the super group? I mean, I'd love to play with Jimmy Page. Who would you pick as a singer? That's a good question. Where have all the good singers gone? Well, my first thought would have been Robin Zander from Cheap Trick. Yeah. Actually, Robin offered his services to sing on my, one of my records, and I never took him up on it because I was just, you know, producing your own record. You know, you're doing 10 different things and, you know, trying to, trying to coordinate flying people in, and, you know, it just never happened. But, uh, I mean, Robin's a great singer, yeah. Well, so, so well, let me pose it to you this way. What if Ringo Starr called you tomorrow and said he'd love for you to be part of his all-star star band? If Would who? You, uh, if Ringo Starr. Oh, you know, I was just going to say... <laughs> yeah, would you... Would no, you, I want... In 2003, I got a phone call... And I got offered to play guitar in Ringo Starr's band. You did. And I had just fallen down a flight of stairs, and I had kicked some, you know, I was kicking drugs, and I was a mess. But I had, I, I had lost the, uh, my fingers weren't working right, because the way I hit, hit the floor, I hit a ceramic tile floor, and it was a, a steep staircase. And, you know, on top of kicking drugs, you know, I'm saying to myself, oh, my shit, God's punishing me and taking away my talent. I'll never be able to play guitar again. You know, and it took like three months for me to get, get my playing ability back. But that was a scary three months. But, you know, I turned down the gig because I wasn't able to do it. Mm, but, you know, I thought about it and I'm saying to myself, I remember staring at I Want to Hold Your Hand single when I was 13 years old and just saying how cool these the suits that the Beatles used to wear with no collars, you know, and the Beatle boots and stuff, and they were like shark skin suits, and I'm saying, you know, somebody would have told me back then that the drummer from the Beatles would ask me to play with him in his band, I'd say, you're out of your mind. That could never happen in a million years. But, you know, you never know. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. Hey, Ace. Um, so we all know what Paul and Gene said in the media, but how did the Hall of Fame phone call actually feel? How did, it, how did it feel for you when you got the phone call from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that you were being inducted? How did that feel? What did it mean to you? I, I was happy. But, you know, then again, it was like, you know, all this drama started happening because I got a call from Paul and Gene, and uh, you know I said, "Well, are we gonna play?" And 
They said, uh, we're not sure, and then uh, you, you want to wear makeup? Or not? I mean, you know, Tommy and uh, Eric weren't being inducted. It was me, Peter, Paul, and Gene. So uh, they got nervous, I think, you know, because the last time we, d we reunited, you know, they even had to scrap the album they had just done with Bruce. If you remember, kind of all of souls. You know, after we did the uh, unplug thing and announced the reunion to her, you know, everything that they were doing was scrapped. So I think they were nervous because they were ready to embark on a tour. I think they had just come out with a record or were planning on it, and I don't think they wanted to rock the boat. So. I mean, I got one phone call saying, would you get up on stage with Tommy and Tommy will play a song and you play a song and, you know, I was just, you know, I said, sure, I'll do anything. For the, you know, for the fans, I'll do it. And uh, then they called me back and said, no, that, that's, that's not going to work. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, those guys are weird. <laughs> And they're getting weirder the older they get. <laughs> I mean, I thought Gene was going to be on my flight when I go to Australia. He's flying in the day of the show. You know? <laughs> he, we crossed the international date line. You know, it's like a 15-hour flight. And, uh, I, you know, I'm flying in the day before, so I have a day to recover. And... He's landing the day that he, you know, I don't get it. I mean, he's two years old, he's 69. You know, he's gonna drop dead of a heart attack if he keeps up this, this schedule. You know, God forbid, knock on wood, but really. I mean, I love the guy, but he's pushing it. <laughs> uh, we have another question right over there. Hi, Ace. Uh, you know, you mentioned Fractured Mirror a few minutes ago. You've had a lot of really cool instrumental songs in your, your solo career. Do you have a process that you use when you're writing those, or do you just jam and they come to you? When you're writing all of the different instrumental songs like Fractured Mirror, is there a process, or do they just kind of come to you as you and work them through? I start out with a basic riff, and then I, I develop melodies around it. You know, that's how Fractured Mirror, you know, it started with that, pick, that picking thing, and... Uh, Subsequently, all the other uh, instrumentals I've done since then, pretty much the same process. We start off with just one simple melody, and, and then I come up with an idea where you know it goes off on a tangent and comes back, and you know the instrumental on on this new album, Spaceman, that's coming out is called uh, what's it called? I don't know. I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> Quantum flux. Yeah, I just the, 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 you know the last the last uh, instrumental I did was uh, quantum. Some who knows? I have no memory. Yeah, <laughs> help me out. What was the instrumental on Space on the spot. I don't remember. Huh? I don't remember. He's as bad as me. Yeah. <laughs> Fractured quantum. Fractured quantum. Yeah. There you so, go. <laughs> I took. I just said so this one's quantum flux. You know. We have time for one more question right here. We've got Mike down front here. Hey, NASA. 
yeah. a man. <laughs> uh, came, came down from Canada to see you. So we, tr we came down from Canada. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning of the show, you talked about uh, your graphic arts and your passion and your talent in that. I wanted to know, are you still doing the computer-generated graphic art, and, or have you switched mediums? Are you still creating art with your graphics on the computer, or have you changed? I stopped. I stopped. I mean, you know, for a while I had so much time on my hands, I really got involved with rendering 3D animations, and I mean, I have some amazing stuff I've done that no one's ever seen, which I'll probably include in the box set, you know, with unreleased stuff. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I met Rachel, and uh, she takes up a lot of my time. And, you know, I signed the record deal, and, and you know, signed with a new agent, and, between touring and recording and uh, keeping up with Rachel, it's, there's really not much time for computer graphics. <laughs> but I'm, I'm happy. That's all that matters. Yeah. So everybody. That's really all that matters. I've met so many rich, famous people that are miserable. It's, it's disgusting. You gotta live your life, you know, and yeah. do what's best for you. Thank you so much for taking the time on this first show, everybody. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Great questions. Uh, Sean is gonna fill you in now on the autographs and the photos, so just hang tight. Ace, thank you. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, everybody. It was a lot of fun. to Tommy Summers and to Ace. We're going to get the VIP meet and greet started. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks. Download your free, free copy of the KISS School of Marketing. 11 Lessons I Learned Working with KISS. The number one downloaded business book on Noise Trade. Go to books.noisetrade.com slash Michael Brandvold. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. So you love the show. Go to itunes.threesidesofthecoin.com and leave your review and rating of Three Sides of the Coin. Thanks.